Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is the word of God. Hey guys, uh, great to be with you all today. I hope you're having a good Sunday, uh, whether you're joining us from home or um, whether you're here. Um, if I haven't met you, my name's Jacob. Um, hopefully I get a chance to meet you a bit later on. And I'm really keen to get into this word now and to just take us this next step of the way through this series uh, called Deep. And so um, when you get into that now, we're looking at a, at a, at a topic that I'm I really I'm hoping is going to be really encouraging um, and, and just a great reminder for us today. So I might just start by praying and encourage you if that's something that you are up for doing, just to pray along in your mind with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you're with us you're with us right now, that you've got something to say to each and every one of us through the words in, uh, in, in the Bible. And we just pray that as we, as we meet, that you would be reminding us of, of great things, you'd be opening our eyes, that you'd be allowing us to, uh, to pause and to switch our minds uh, off whatever channel they're normally on in, in, in the things that are maybe worrying us or concerning us today but just for this short amount of time that we'd be able to actually be refreshed by you and your word. So please be with us now as we open your word together. Amen. Now, Sid Barrett was one of the co-founders of the band uh, Pink Floyd and um, was really instrumental in, in the early days of, of shaping them as, a, as a, a really unique band with experimental music and deeply philosophical lyrics um, but he was also a person who struggled with mental illness, which was exacerbated as the band's fame grew. Um, because with success came lots of opportunities and choices, and for, and for Sid, this was um, absolutely paralyzing. At his worst, he was um, often just to be found in bed for days on end, unable to go out. And in talking about this, one of uh, his friends described um, the state he was in in this way. He says he would lie in bed thinking, what do I do today? Shall I get out of bed? If I get out of bed, I can do this, or I can do that, or I can do that, or I could do that. He had the world at his feet, all the possibilities, and he just couldn't choose. He had great problems committing himself to any action. As for committing himself to doing anything for any length of time, he was the kind of person who'd change in the middle. He'd set off, lose his motivation, and start questioning what he was doing, which might just be walking down the street. This kind of phenomenon is what the Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard called the dizziness of freedom. A, a, a crisis of purpose when there's the kind of so many options and so many choices of things you could be giving yourself over to in a, in a day or a week or over a lifetime that you just don't know what to commit to. I think many of us have felt this and maybe not in a, like, a hugely debilitating way but the sense of working out like, what am I doing with my life? Is the, is the, are the things that I'm waking up to day after day really worth it? Am I giving myself and the best part of myself and my life to the, right, to the right thing? Does my life have meaning? Does my life have purpose? And I reckon this year of COVID may have amplified this for some people as, as some of the things that had been given, giving our life meaning in the day-to-day -day may have been stripped away. Some of the plans we were making and that kind of thing. Life's been, become a bit more insular and small as the world has kind of closed off and you can't travel and, and get further away. 
And so you may have noticed news stories and things on social media kind of suggesting strategies to kind of find meaning in the everyday, you know, getting up, making your bed each morning, getting dressed for work, even if you're working from home, which might go some other way. But what we're going to be looking at today, I reckon, is, is huge in understanding the purpose and direction for our life. Understanding what it is that should, above anything else in this life, get us out of bed in the morning with something meaningful to do. The sculptor Henry Moore uh, says this about life. The secret of life is to have a task, something you devote your entire life to, something you bring everything to, every minute of every day for the rest of your life. And the most important thing is it must be something you cannot possibly do. Today we're looking at the doctrine of sanctification, which I would argue fits Moore's definition to the secret to life. A meaning, a purpose, and a direction that, that... if understood and lived out, brings clarity and brings joy. So where we're heading today, first I want to un- unpack just what sanctification means, and in particular what, what God's purpose for your life is, namely that you'll gradually be made more and more like Jesus. And then I want to go and, and think through the implications of that reality to our lives, both in the things that we can't control and in things that we can. So we're going to get into that. But firstly, what does God ultimately want from us in this life? What is our purpose? What, what should drive us? Over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, um, if you haven't, you can go check it out on our podcast, but we've been looking at various aspects of what happens when God saves a person, when, it, when, when someone becomes a Christian. How it is that in, in, we looked at propitiation, how it is that God turns his wrath away from sinful people. In justification, how it is that we can be declared righteous and declared innocent. In regeneration, how it is that we are made spiritually alive when we once were dead and are given a new heart. And then last week, we looked at adoption, how it is that God brings us into his family and makes us his children. And all of these things we've looked at over four weeks really, uh, in reality, overlap and happen in a moment. When God miraculously and supernaturally intervenes in someone's life, that is all what happens, and it happens immediately. But I think all the things we've been looking at kind of lead to the question, which we haven't spent a huge amount of time in, which is, well, then what? If that's what happens kind of in a moment, then what is God's plan beyond that point? If you can imagine if you were a soldier and you were on a, on a mission behind enemy lines and you know, your platoon is deep in enemy territory behind the trenches, walking along on some covert mission when all of a sudden, all around you erupts just a whole bunch of noise. Grenades are going off. You hear gunfire just going through. There's just light, there's noise. You feel a bullet tear through your body and then everything goes black. Imagine then waking up and as you kind of come to your senses, you realize you're in a hospital um, and, you know, you've got the kind of fluoro lights above you. But the voices you're hearing aren't, aren't, is not a language you understand. And you realize that what's happened is you've been, you've been saved by the enemy. They've, they've brought you back to life. The, the question that would be going through your mind is, well, what are they going to do with me? For what purpose have they, have they gone to the effort rather than just leaving me for dead? Why have they brought me back to life? Then you'd ask the same question of God. Why is it that when we were his enemies, he's done this huge thing in our lives? If you've, if you've experienced the transformation that comes with being a Christian and the, and the good news of that reality, why? What's the end purpose of it? The verses that Jez just read, I think, unlock the key of what is the purpose that God has for our lives. I'm going to read them again, these couple of lines, because it really is only um, a very short part of Scripture. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's heaps to unpack in, this, in these verses, and we're not going to get to a lot of it, but there's a few things here that I think are really going to help us out in understanding what sanctification really is. Verse 28 in particular, I think, has two massive truth claims that really should anchor our lives. Firstly, it says that God is at work in the lives for the good of those who love him. Um, That is, beyond salvation, beyond everything we've looked at for the last four weeks, God continues to work. He doesn't intervene for a moment and then say, you know, goodbye, see you later, I'll catch you in heaven. No, God continues to work in the lives of his people. That might seem really obvious or really whatever to you, but but it's key. It's important just to be reminded of that. But then secondly, it says that people have been called according to a purpose. And it's God's purpose, which means there actually is an objective purpose to your life. I reckon this is really countercultural. The, the prevailing worldview around us of, of secular materialism would say that there isn't really an objective purpose for your life. If you were to kind of look at it from a maybe scientific perspective to work out what that might be, you might say, well, maybe to procreate and pass on our genes and, and grow the human race could be in somewhat the objective reason to live as a human. But more often than not, what, what we reach for is subjective purposes. That is, that I can choose something for me, that I'm going to define what makes my life worth living. You can choose for you what you're going to define your life and make your life worth living. And, and that's, the, you know, that's the best that we can do. Um, and I reckon, despite we've got, I reckon you're going to get a whole range of kind of what that is for people. Most people's lives, when you boil it down, the centre of it is some form of accumulation. I don't know if you played the game of life board game when you were a kid. Um, that wasn't in our co- collection along with the, with the Monopoly, but um, I actually played it for the first time as an adult so I could you know, get my head around it. Um, and it's, I'm, I think I'm glad I didn't have it as a kid because the way that the game works is your little piece, and you've probably played it, you go around the board, you roll the dice, I think, and, or spinner, spinner. And throughout the game, the, it's really about kind of making a series of choices about how you want to live your life. So you have choices as to whether you're going to, going to go down the kind of career pathway and, and, and do extra study so you can have a higher salary or whether you're going to go down the, the family pathway and, and you know, get, the, get a, you know, the wife or the husband and the kids. And over the game, you've got a series of choices that I guess by the end you're trying to have you know, a house and a really good career and a good car and have got some other kind of cards that I don't know what they do and, and, and money and the rest of it. And I don't actually remember how the game ends. Maybe someone could tell me after. But it must be the case that you win the game by having the most of, of these things. Um, and I think it's pretty amazing that you can actually put a whole worldview just into a board game and actually have it, have it come out. Because I reckon this is how most of us view our lives. This is why that works as a game. Because most of us see our lives as there's different paths you can go for sure. But you're trying to get something by the end. And for some people that might be a career and that might be money. For others it might be family. For others it might be experiences and holidays. Whatever it is for you or success, whatever, we're trying to gather something for ourselves. That's what gives life meaning. Uh, that's what gets us out of bed each day. That's what keeps us going each week. And that's why for so many people COVID has been so unpleasant because it has kind of cut most of that off at the source. But Romans 28 says, no, it's not just a matter of you finding a purpose for yourself, but God has a purpose for you. And verse 29 clarifies what that purpose is. And it's very specific. Now, it's got a word in there, predestined, which if you're from a church background that's kind of got caught up uh, quite a bit, uh, maybe arguing or being confused about what that means, that might kind of take you off course. But for the sake of this, that basically just means planning ahead. So basically it's saying, 
for those that God has saved, he has planned ahead that they would be conformed to the image of his son. That's the heart of God's plan for your life. That, that throughout your earthly days, that more and more you would be molded, you would be conformed to, to look like, to be like his son Jesus. That is what God is doing. That is what it means to be, to be sanctified. It's to be made more and more like Jesus. That's God's intent. That is God's purpose. So your story is not primarily a story of accumulation, but it's a story of transformation. And this fits with the whole story of the Bible. We looked, if you remember, what are we up to, seven seven weeks ago, at how God is a God who is glorious, who who rightly belongs in the center of our lives. The best possible life, the most joy we could experience would be to actually worship him as he deserves. But sin is us not doing that. It's, It's going off course, worshiping something else other than God. It's us mucking up the plan. And, and the gospel, what Jesus came into the world to accomplish was to, to bring us back on track, to reopen the way that we could actually know God for who he is, see him for who he is, and worship him. So it's not just getting saved. The, the, the sanctification, this next step, is about over time, gradually more and more, getting back to where we were meant to be, experiencing life for what it was meant to be, being human in the way we were meant to be, which we haven't done and only Jesus has. That our lives would be a gradual process day by day to make us more like Jesus, for our desires to change. That God will cut back our inclination towards sin and selfishness. That he would grow us in our love for what is good and beautiful. See, God has a high view of what it is to be a person. He loves you as you are. He died for you while you were still in sin. But his hope wasn't just that you would stay the way you are and stay a mess, but that you would experience the joy and beauty of actually seeing sin get removed from your life. That you would get to experience more of what it would be like to be Jesus, the most joyful, God-loving, people-loving, and a whole person who has ever lived. God has saved us for a purpose. There's a sense that in regeneration, in being born again, a seed is planted that for the rest of our life is growing and transforming into something that's quite different to what it was when it started. When you plant a seed and it grows into a seedling and then a, a middle-sized tree and then a, a big tree, it's, it's amazing to see that growth. And that is the intention God has for our lives. That something would be happening. That in salvation, you're taken off one, one road going one direction that's leading to death and misery and you're put on another road that over the course of your life will take you closer and closer and closer to perfect joy. I think understanding this purpose that God has for our lives has, has some pretty big implications to how we view things in the day-to-day. And firstly, I think the first implication of this is that we need to understand that even in the things that we can't control, God is at work to make us more like Jesus. This is the first place the rubber really hits the road, and it's the place where the authors of the Bible again and again and again go to, that, that if God has a plan for us, then even when life doesn't seem to be going according to plan, God is still doing something. And that brings meaning to the parts of our life that often seem meaningless and out of control. So much of our life is out of control, and that's like for the good things and the bad. Like if, if you're married, I'm, I'm guessing meeting your spouse wasn't something you planned, but it's something that happened. If you're in a job that you love, that the process by which you actually landed that job and got through the interview process, it largely was, was out of your control, but in the hands of another. 
And the flip side of the coin, though, is that, that, that much of life and the, the difficult and unpleasant and unwanted and unexpected things are not under our control. But even in these, God is carrying out a work of sanctification. Look at in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 10, uh, the writer describes what God is doing to us uh, similarly to, to how a parent would, uh, would raise their child. It says, They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Don't hear the word discipline there as, as punishment, as though you know, if something bad happens in your life, something unpleasant happens, that that's God kind of you know, giving you some kind of payback for something wrong you've done. But it's talking about discipline in the sense of a, a proactive strengthening, a proactive, uh, measured and intentional, giving you what you need to, to improve in some, in some area. That God is working in the things that we find hard to mold us to be more like Jesus. Now, I need to be really clear that this isn't a talk on suffering, and, and the Bible has so, so much to say about suffering and the hard things of life. Um, other than this, it talks about suffering being something that, that brings God to tears. That suffering for us is often linked to human evil, which God hates. That suffering is often linked to, to things that seem meaningless and chaotic. And that ultimately, suffering is unwanted by God and alien to this world. So this is just one lens of many. And if you're in a situation where you feel like you're suffering at the moment, we want you to know that we love you. We want to support you through that. But all we're getting from this here, though, is this one lens we can apply to the hard things we experience is that if you are someone who's been brought into God's family, that in everything, he has a purpose for your good, and that good is that over time you'd be made more like Jesus. And that's good. And, and it may not be until the end of your life, or maybe not to the next, that you can actually see what that looks like in the moment. But that's what God is doing. He's not taken aback or surprised by the things that happened that we weren't counting on. So if take this year of COVID, for example. Um, we've had people in this church that have lost jobs. That's, that's been painful. We've had people who have been disconnected now for eight or nine months from loved ones due to border closures, who have had big plans like weddings changed or delayed, holidays that were going to be great just being completely cancelled and just stress applied onto maybe already stressful jobs and situations. And so for us, this is an unwelcome interruption. Our plan and our trajectory has been stalled. But God doesn't look at this year and be like, oh, I had such good plans for these people for 2020. It was going to be amazing. It was going to be the best year ever. Um, and, and City Light as a church was going to go from strength to strength. It was going to be the best year in the books for City Light. But I wasn't counting on this. This is like caught me completely off guard. Um, that's not how God views the world. For us, we weren't planning on it. For us, we weren't counting on it. But for God, it's part of his work to make us more like Jesus. God's plans for ours are different. God's plans are different to ours. God has, has a desire for us that we often don't have for ourselves because he sees things that we don't see. I want to I quote at length from um, an author, C.S. Lewis, who wrote 70 years ago. I was an author that many people would be aware of. Um, and he, he describes just this reality that God has an intention for us greater than that for which we have for ourselves. It's quite a long quote, but I'm going to read it at length. He says, You must realize from the outset that the goal towards which he is beginning to guide you is absolute perfection. 
and no power in the universe except you yourself can prevent him from taking you to that goal. That is what you're in for. And it is very important to realize that. If we do not, then we are very likely to start pulling back and resisting him after a certain point. Of course, we never wanted and never asked to be made into the sort of creatures he's going to make us into. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. The job will not be completed in this life, but he means to get us as far as possible before death. That is why we must not be surprised if we are in for a rough time. When a man turns to Christ and seems to be getting on pretty well, he often feels that it would now be natural if things went fairly smoothly. When troubles come along, illnesses, money troubles, new kinds of temptation, he's disappointed. These things he feels might have been necessary to rouse him and make him repent in his bad old days, but why now? Because God is forcing him on or up to a higher level, putting him into situations where he'll have to be very much braver, more and more patient or more loving than he ever dreamed of being before. It seems to us all unnecessary, but that is because we have not yet had the slightest notion of the tremendous thing he means to make of us. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to live in it himself. It's perspective we need, isn't it? That God is making something out of us. He's doing something in each of our lives right now. We, we can't see the final outcome until the end, but that's what's happening. And you might be able to look back on some things now with you know, a few years of hindsight and seeing parts of your life that at the time were really painful, but God brought something good out of it. Maybe you don't get to see that for, for years and years and years. But, but I think over time, many people find it to be the case that God has a good purpose in the hard things. Malcolm Muggeridge, a, a British journalist, towards the end of his life, um, attested as much as this. He said, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I've learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affli affliction and not through happiness. Understanding God's purpose for our life means that we can, even in the hard things, Remember that there is purpose, that there is meaning, and that God is bringing about some good. That's the first implication, things that we, that we can't control. And secondly, and just to finish, this, this brings implications for the things we can control. The decisions, the choices that are before us every single day. If you know and believe that the ultimate pursuit, the ultimate direction for your life is to become more and more like Jesus... That gives clarity to both the big things and the small things. That gives us a reason to, to wake up every day. So much of the New Testament is, um, is instruction on how to live. And, 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 and what's underpinning most of that is, is a desire that when you become a Christian, there are things that are going to change. That God has an intention, and we're invited into that. 
Um, we're not invited into saving ourselves. Um, God saves us on his own. He, he, there is nothing we can contribute towards that end. Um, justification, regeneration, we contribute nothing. That is all God. But, but this works sanctification. There's something different about that. We, we're actually invited in and given a responsibility to take ownership of our lives with God. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 kind of shows you this tension. It says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See the tension in, the, in those verses? We're called to work out your own salvation. You've been saved, so, so, so get on with um, living out the implications of that. But at the same time, God is still at work in you and through you. That's a tension that we find hard to hold, but, but at the end of the day, God is saying that he's inviting you to do something. He's inviting you to, to, to take some direction with your life and to grow. Which means it's a decision, and I think it also just means that it's hard. If you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, I, I'm sure you, you either have wished or are wishing right now that it was a bit more effortless than it is. That it, it could just be easy, in fact. Um, sometimes it's hard to keep putting one foot in front of the other and just following Jesus day in and day out, isn't it? To keep fighting sin that doesn't seem to go away and, and, and desire that you just don't want to have. To keep putting out effort to love really difficult people that you find your life enmeshed with. To remain committed to a community that might keep letting you down, in, whether it's a small group or a church or in some other way. Now, sometimes you feel like giving up. Sometimes you just don't even know what the point is or if it's even really worthwhile anymore. One of the things I really enjoy doing is going out for long like hikes in the wilderness, which I haven't done as much lately, but a few years ago I was doing quite a bit of it. Um, and, and oftentimes that's n- not too intense. It's like it, it's just a ni- nice amount of difficulty. But, but sometimes that's actually really, really hard. And the first proper hike I ever went on with a couple of guys from 11 a.m. here um, we got really lost. We, we, we decided we were going to cut through um, some bush that, that on a map only looked this long. Um, it turns out that was like six kilometers of really dense bushland. And we thought, and again, maps don't really show, well, they do, they have lines, but they don't really, you don't get a picture of how up and down uh, a bit of land can be. And so we were just trudging for hours and hours, ran out of water in this, in this bushland. The map had creeks, but they were just sludge in real life, so there was nothing to drink. And we were getting pretty desperate. Um, it felt like every time we came to a rise, there was just another, another rise in front of us. There was just no end in sight as we kept walking through. The, we'd lost any sense of where we were on the map. But we had, a, we had a compass, and the map did say that the forest ended. And as long as you, we kept going north, eventually we'd get out of it. And so there wasn't really any other option because there was nowhere to put up a tent. So we just had to keep walking and walking just with nothing but a compass telling us which direction to go the hope that eventually that would, that would prove to be worth it, that there would be a place to camp, that there would be some fresh water if we kept going. Just to put one foot in front of the other, keep going even though that it was hard. Eugene Peterson, who's a Christian author, says that what we need to have as followers of Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And that's going to be like the least glamorous sentence, I reckon, that's ever been written um, as a mark for your life. Every word in it is the opposite to what we want deep down as, in our culture. We don't like things that are long. We want things that are quick. 
We want quick satisfaction, quick relief. We want things to be fast. We don't want our lives necessarily to be marked by obedience. We'd rather have autonomy and choice. And the idea of doing something for your whole life, just going in the same direction, just speaks completely against everything that we feel, which wants to experience it all and to try every single direction in our lives. But to be conformed to the image of Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. It's to wake up every day, even though it's hard, and resolve once again to go to war with your sin, to resolve once again to love those around you, to resolve once again to worship God even when he feels distant or far away or hard to see. That's what we're called to. We need to work against the worldview that says that things need to be fast and that things need to be easy. Um, there is some pleasure to be had in this world that is quick, but, but character and integrity and perseverance and steadfastness and deep and true love are not fast and easy things to have. I encourage you to think about the kind of person you are and the kind of person you want to be and to take an active decision in the, in the big decisions you've got to make in your life and the small things to strive towards holiness to wake up each morning and, and again spend time with God and loving others and just to keep going and keep going and keep going with one foot in front of the other. I encourage you in, in the midst of the year that we're having and like we're going to be doing as a whole church in a few weeks' time to actually just pause and to take a bit of stock of your life and to think through what is the trajectory your life is on. And this isn't like a, an exercise in guilt. Um, and this isn't an exercise in how are you going compared to the person sitting next to you or how are you going compared to someone else or where are they compared to where this is, this is, if you can play out your life on a scale in a year's time or two years' time or five years' time, where are you going to be? It's just between you and between God. David Powelson says, Sanctification is a journey, not a destination. The real key is the direction you're heading, not the distance you've travelled or the place you've reached. Where are you going to be a year from now as a, as a person deep down? Or in 10 years or in 20 years? When you're older, are you just going to be the same core person with like more wrinkles on? Or, or will something have happened in your life over the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever that might be, to make you someone who, who others, maybe younger people, would look at and be like, there is something that's actually quite Jesus-like in them. That over the years, somehow they've, They've shaped themselves to be quite different to the other people in this culture, the other people in this world. There is something unique, there is something distinctive, there is something good and peaceful and joyful about them that is only the result of, of, a, of a thousand small steps in the right direction as we seek to follow Jesus. I think it's worth even take, taking some time in your week to even kind of even identify some of the traits of Jesus that you're you're most in need of growing in, whether that's patience, whether that's love, whether that's generosity. Because as long as we are alive, there are ways that we can grow in the likeness of Jesus until one day we will be just like him. I'm going I'm to pray now that as a church, that this is the direction we'd be moving in, that God would empower us to this end, uh, that we'd be motivated by joy, not out of guilt, not out of having to earn salvation, but out of a sense that this is the best life we could have that it is worth it, even though that it's hard. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that 
you have a purpose for our life, even though that purpose isn't necessarily easy uh, or in the moment sometimes necessarily fun, but it is, it is good. And we pray that we'd remember that. We pray that we have a, a reason to wake up. We pray we have a direction to, to walk along. We just know that. We'd know that with every part of ourselves. And that you would actually help us. That we wouldn't feel like we have to do this in our own strength. We wouldn't feel like we are on our own. But we would know that you're with us, that you care about us, that you are at work in our lives. Help us to see the parts of our lives that you are doing things in that are hard so we can, we can endure them. Or, or even just give us the faith and the trust in you to endure the things that are hard and we can't for the life of us see what you're doing in them. We pray for the good of us as individuals and for us as a church and for the city and the world around us that you would be changing us, you'd be transforming us. We would be more like your son Jesus. We would be able to love like him, to be able to worship like him, to be able to enjoy you like he did. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.